I first discovered Paul Ford as a writer in the year 2000, actually. Yikes. Yeah. Uh, really enjoyed the writing. I, f- I viewed you as like a futurist. Hmm. That's okay, that's fair. I was interested in like what's going to happen with technology back then. Yeah, and it was it was the Google robot article that sort of kicked it off. And then I, I let's be clear, I was twenty four. He was twenty four, twenty five, twenty six. Yeah, yeah. And there weren't a ton of writers on the internet yet. No. And I thought you were fascinating. And then you know you'd you'd sort of drift into view because I was an RSS freak. Mm-hmm. I would follow feeds. Uh, and then years later we met through, yeah. through a mutual friend and what often comes to mind is like, wow, this guy must have strolled around Princeton and thought big thoughts. Yeah, that's a stretch. So, um, folks split when I was 12, dad kind of vanished for a while. And I ended up a couple, it's like a couple years, fast forward, at a school for poor kids called the Milton Hershey School. Okay. So you're 12 now. Well, no, now I'm actually like 14, 15. Okay. All right. So we're, fa- we're moving yeah, ahead. No, now- nothing. Chaos never comes in a nice sequence, right? Right. Like, it's right. just a couple years of All bad right, so stuff. So you're 14. You're at the Milton Hershey School. Yeah. What is the Milton Hershey School? So uh, the Her- so Milton Snavely Hershey was the founder of uh, what now is called Herco, the Hershey Chocolate Company. Okay. okay. And you started that in around I think it was around 1910 in Hershey, Hershey, Pennsylvania. I wasn't it wasn't called Hershey, Pennsylvania at that point. Dairy Township, and uh, he got uh, you know he got a lot of milk. He got a lot of cocoa. Okay. Um, got married and and you know like built a whole like an empire like this a was chocolate empire. This is an absolute beast of a company. But his wife, who he loved very much, mm-hmm. could not conceive. They couldn't have kids. No. Okay. So they started an orphanage. They're like, well, you know, here we are. We're very fortunate. We Let's have help some people. We have, you know, at that point, a hundred thousand dollars or you know whatever, like a couple whatever million. a billion is back <laughs> exactly. then. Exactly. It's like a couple million. Yeah. And uh, they're like, all right, well, well, they got a farmhouse together and they, they put some kids in it and it was um, orphans. It was all orphans to start. Okay. And so uh, so that kept growing over time. And actually what is tricky, I think, to understand, what's very interesting as a model of corporate governance, the school is... Okay, so Herco, you've you've had a Hershey chocolate bar. You don't like them. Go ahead, talk about that. Get that out. It's a bad chocolate. Yeah, you bar. don't like chocolate. You don't it's like, a, but they are also M and M's, and I like it. I like a no. Like that's the, Mars. You don't like mass consumer chocolate in general. I like the pretzel M and M's at like two in the morning after yeah, too many not, drinks. It's not a Hershey product. No. The um, but Reese's is a Hershey product. Okay. Okay. And, so. I like Reese's Pieces. Mm-hmm, there you go. Anyway. So okay. built an empire on just American love, Americans loving to shove, shove sugar in their mouths. Totally makes sense. One of the great industrials of our era can't have children. And so he starts the orphanage and here we are. And so like now he gives the whole company to a trust. Right. That runs the, uh, that, that the school kind of operates. The trust exists to keep the school funded. Right. So, and so, so it's it's worth noting, like it is 
hard-coded into the charter, essentially the guidelines of the trust, that this school must be funded forever. Yeah. No. So the size of the trust, Rich, is about $4.5 billion to $17.4 billion. That's what the web says. But let's just assume like, an unbelievable amount of money. And it's, it's similar to the endowments. Like It's smaller than the endowments of Yale and Harvard, but similar to those of like Texas A&M University. Got and it. It's for you know, one to 2,000, depending on how, how, they're, how they're doing it these days. I'm, I'm not in super close contact with the school. I don't keep close tabs on it. Uh, it's, it's one to 2,000, what they call social orphans. Okay, so you don't necessarily, the criteria isn't a hard criteria of not having parents. Some kids, some kids were orphans when I went to the school, yeah. um, but many, many were not. Many had one parent. I had both my parents living, but we were really broke and there was just kind of no money and no stability. So they're like, mm -hmm. all right, well, you're, you're a good candidate for this. You're Got bright. It. Come on over. Was there, was there like testing criteria to make sure you were bright enough to go there? No, they like basically, that? they wanted you to be about average, like average or above, essentially. They, okay. they didn't want to be a place. It's not a place for special Gifted needs kids. kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, or, or special needs. Yeah. Okay. There wasn't an intelligence cap. Let's be mindful. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. But anyway, uh, it's a strange experience. And I, I went to some of those, some kids go there as early as four. Okay. Like it really functions as like an orphanage and de facto family. There were kids. Which, in, okay. So to be clear, this isn't a school. You're living there. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a boarding school. There, so are, there are no day students. You live there. They give you clothing. Uh, they give you money for college after you leave. You, you have, you live in a house with other kids and the house parent. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's a set of house parents, married couple, who keep an eye on you, and then you go to the school every day. Okay, and you stay there often through the summer. Okay, so you were living there. You were yes. you. I mean, this is was this awful for you? I was a very confusing time. Like you're 14, 15, and suddenly you're going to pick up and go to this weird pseudo orphanage in the middle of Pennsylvania. Nobody's there for good reasons. Like nobody, no no family right. is just like, well, this you know, great news. It didn't work out. Is it only for Pennsylvania residents? No, no, it's for people from all over. But it definitely is a like a, there bias are a lot of tough it. kids from Philly and a lot of poor kids from farms. Got it. Okay. Looking back now, what did you learn? Like, looking back, would you say there's no way I would be where I am today had I not gone to the Hershey School? It definitely was a full brain reset because I was in this. So before I went there, I was in this kind of typical American suburban community. And indistinguishable from a thousand others. Yeah, a little older, a little, you know, like Pennsylvania has been around for a while. And there was culture and there was a university nearby and my dad taught. So before all that fell apart, I definitely had it. Like I, I grew up in a house full of books and things like that. Right. right. So. So I definitely had a life where I had access to intellectual things. I got to go to the you know, library and use the computer. But then I'm in an environment in which my peers and my fellow students are from really messed up environments. Um, kids whose parents had uh, one, you know, like, like murder was not unusual as a reason that a parent passed away. Like, and, and for you... You're a very empathetic person. You're you're definitely someone that well, like, you think that was shaped then. I see where you no. I see where you're going with that. Now the funny thing is when you put people together who've been through a mess. Yeah, they don't want to talk about the mess. No, they don't. They want to. Um, they want to move on. Yeah, they want to like throw a football. Yeah, and and, and that's so that which is that's one thing. It's it's actually sometimes a little tricky for me in today's very modern 
psychotherapy and trauma-driven discourse mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because a lot of people who have been through it just kind of want to move on. And I sure. feel that we have a discussion in our culture where like, you can't move on. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I worry about that. Actually, I don't I, like, I get it. I get that people need to process their stuff. I spent time on that myself, but another time, like y the goal should be to move on, not to continually revisit the trauma. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes that gets lost. Anyway, yeah. regardless, you know what it actually taught me? So here I am. Okay. And I, I'm, I'm aligning a lot of stuff that was going on in the world around me at the time, but like I'm parachuted into this environment. Um, and there was a whole, so there were a few things. First of all, there was a whole culture and set of norms that I had to learn really quickly because I was a later student. So I mean, people have been there since they were four mm. and suddenly there's You're catching up. I have house parents. There are rules. There's, you know, when you get punished, you have to do dishes. You do dishes for 15 kids. Like you're, you, mm -hmm. some people have breakfast duty. I'm cleaning houses. I'm cleaning toilets with a tooth, toothbrush. I'm waking up at 5 a.m. Mm. You know, and there's, there's stuff like that. Um, it's a very athletic jockey Christian culture. I'm mm. going to church. Mm. Uh, I'm going to like, I'm going to chapel. I'm, you know, playing trombone in the band like there's just like a whole world i'm in yeah okay and so so it's like they taught you some work ethic yeah no 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 my, my brother was in the navy at the time and at graduation he was like well, this reminds me of the military right like yeah it's very, like service oriented religious etc okay the but the real thing that i think i learned the thing that i go back to the most often from that experience and i don't think about it i don't think about high school as much as you know you, you, you get older was that I was parachuted into a vast and complicated bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. And the bureaucracy had a lot of money and resources, and there was a lot swimming around. And as a high school student, I remember like, where am I in this? And this place had unbelievable resources. I'll give you an example. There's 90 student homes. Each one has like 14 kids. And think about how schools usually operate. And one day they went, you know, these every student home should have at least one computer. And like a month later, a Mac LC shows up. Right. Every so student. it's just infinite resources. Or, order a hundred of them, one for every classroom. Yeah, you know, that would be like a five-year thing in public school. Yeah. And here it was like, well, if we, we should, should do it, we should do it. And they do it. And and so so it sounds like you really were very fortunate. I'm incredibly fortunate throughout my entire life. It was just a tough time. And the, the, school, sure. the school itself was tough. I remember afterwards, I remember there was another, I was, you know, one of the smart sensitive types in the school and it wasn't a place that celebrated smart sensitive types. Sure, fine, sure. Fine. I'm sure everybody, you know, if any Milt is listening to this, they're going to go like, hey, you freaking wuss. So yeah. Um, yeah. a lot of fist fights, a lot of that stuff, like a lot oh, of like well, violence. There's, there's a lot of kids working through stuff. It's violent. And yeah. it was a violent place. And now I understand more. I have more empathy than I did after I graduated for what that was all about. Yeah. But at the same time, you have vulnerable kids who end up in vulnerable situations. And the, the instinct of the culture and of that part of the world and of the school was to punish and get them out of the system rather than address the challenges or, or avoid them. They never, there was a, it wasn't always like focused on, on managing, on diminishing harm. And yeah. so, yeah. so it was all the regular stuff and all the regular drama of the era. So, but look, here's the thing. I, for, for a while I wore that as a badge. I'm like, I was poor. Right. I was like, yeah. And it was kind of nice to be able to, to be a little difficult about it in a room to be yeah. like, yeah, well, I went to a school for, you know, people would be talking about their high school experiences and I'd be like, well, I went to a school for poor kids. Yeah. 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 Made you special. 
And then I, as, as things got different in my life, I just had to stop talking about it. And I'll tell you why. I was proud of it, proud of who I am, proud of where I came from, but no one could understand it. What do you mean? You just can't, you know, when you spend a lot of time with upper middle class people building a career. Yeah. And you try to talk to them about what you came from and where you believe. Yeah. They see exactly what is in front of them and they don't believe that you came from anything else. Interesting. They don't believe you. Well, it's, it's, it's really hard to process. Yeah. It's really, really hard to process. Yeah. People see me as just like a, a tall white business guy who also is a writer. That's weird. Well, you are those things. I am. I am. <laughs> and, and, you know, I used to try to narrate and explain to people that my background gave me a different context, maybe some different sympathy and empathy. I don't, I can't anymore. I just can't. I can't. I, I don't try. And then, and then people come to me and they're like, well, you want to invest in this? And I'm like, all right, this is the conversation you want to have with me. Fine. Yeah. Um, I think you're, I mean, you zoomed out and you're touching on something, uh, you know, I think pretty universal, which is people, people's interactions with others are very much colored by themselves and their own lives, right? Like that's American business is an upper middle class enterprise. I mean, it, it is. And, and like leadership is like when you go, your average leader went to a pretty good college, had stable parenting. For sure. Well, it's because it's safer to hire those. (laughs) Not your average employee. Your average employee probably comes, like the middle class in America is way more inclusive. But once you go up one notch, oh my goodness. Yeah. It's a lot of men named Jeff and James. And and it's funny because some of the best people I've ever worked with were big gambles for me. Like one of the best engineers I ever worked with had no college degree. One of the best designer slash engineer unicorns literally lived in the middle of the country. And he's like, I'll drive over. I think you guys are cool, but I don't have anywhere to stay. And I would like front him money. Mm-hmm. And now he's managing 20 people. I think what you're highlighting, and, and I have a similar experience. I didn't go to like fancy schools and I had my own kind of version of instability. Oh, we talked about it. I mean, you're, you, you're an immigrant who left a war zone at age five. Yeah. Right? And so with no money. So yeah, start there and, and then here we but, are. But echoing what you're saying here, no one wants to watch your autobiography movie no, directed it, by. I'll tell you, it's a funny thing. They actually, <laughs> they don't like the, you'd think that America would celebrate a little, like your story in particular, like self it is, made it, American. American dream. And it is the, I mean, Horatio Alger or whatever his name is. It's deeply out of fashion right now. So that's one thing. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're only supposed to be, we like our, we, we want our rich people to be anti capitalist in 2023. But yeah. hold on. I'm going to take what you said and take it a little bit further. So here is a, I, I mentored a guy for a long time. I still mentor him, but he doesn't need me as much anymore. He's succeeded. The mentorship worked really well. When we started working together, he was a little all over the place. And he ended up, he's in engineering, and he's very ambitious, really smart. I really respect this person. I learned a lot from working with him. And he ended up inside of a giant company. And I actually think giant company was the right place to go. Because giant company has already worked through all of its drama about different kinds of people. They have, they're overt about their goals. They're overt about bringing people in. They're overt about career paths and journeys. They want to do it. They want to do it. And they have the resources to do it. And they have the resources to invest in you. And if you want to get into this world, going to the biggest possible platform as soon as possible is, is where you will have the most opportunity for growth and I to figure out where you sit. 
I think that's probably true. I think the other part is it's harder, but you just got to have a lot of conversations because you got to find that advocate. Mm -hmm. You need that advocate to be like, okay, I, it's like the agent who like finds the up and coming Broadway star or off Broadway star is like going to make a bet on you. Right. Um, And that just takes a lot more conversation. It's not that clear cut. It's not just applying for the job. I'm going to say a brutal thing related to me going to this school, you being, um, you growing up broken on certain circumstances. (laughs) Uh, You don't get any credit for it. You think you would. You'd think that the world would be like, wow, you've actually worked a little harder than other people to figure stuff out for yourself. Yeah. Uh, They don't. They just go, what can you do for me? Yeah. So you think that your narrative is going to help you out, but it's you just got to get in there and and make contacts and figure out how you're going to be helpful if you want to succeed. All right, Richard, this was an uplifting one. Let's. Uh, I think uh, this podcast is sponsored by Aboard, which you can visit at aboard.com. We're inviting beta users in very, very soon. So mm-hmm. go sign up. Um, it's a really cool tool. Uh, and you'll learn more about, more about it in the next in days now. Uh, We're going to have to do a podcast episode describing it. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, hello at ZiottiFord.com, at ZiottiFord on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye.